We're going to look at this one verse and then go into the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 34 will be our next stop. You can put a finger there if you'd like. Um, and we're going to look at a couple people who lived this verse out. You guys, I'm so excited to bring this to you. In the past five years, the Lord, five years now, the Lord has really been walking me through this, the name of God concept. It's not a concept, it's a foundation. It's a biblical foundation throughout all of Scripture. Jesus, at the end of his life, said, Lord, I have manifest your name. <laughs> That's cool. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God wants us to know him. He wants us to know his name. And the way relationship works, if, if I want to become your friend, I've got to share something about myself, don't I? You won't know me if I don't tell you things about myself. I won't know you if you don't share things with me about who you are. That's why we ask questions. Where do you work? Where are you from? What was your home life like? And the more we get to know one another, the more intimate our relationship can be, right? Well, God wants you to know him. That's why Jesus came. That's why he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Everything he did, he did because the Father told him to do it. Everything he said, he said because the Father told him to say it. He said, I don't even do this of my own will. I do it because my Father told me to. All to reveal the name of God to us. And this is, this is powerful. This is powerful stuff. So I want to enter into the scripture. We're going to pray and then go, go to town on this one. Father, we just come before you. I just thank you that you are a mighty God, perfect in all of your ways. All that is good comes from you, God. You are good and you do good. And so, God, would you glorify your name? Would you reveal to us who you are through this teaching today? Lord, we lift up the guys coming back from the men's conference. We ask, would you give them uh, sweet fellowship and grace and, and safe travels home? Lord, would you cause what, what the things that they learned to root in their heart and be a blessing and bear fruits unto righteousness? Jesus, we love you. We surrender this time to you in your matchless name. Amen. All right, Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Notice it doesn't say the wicked run to it. It's just not their instinct to run to the name of the Lord. But it says the righteous run to the name of the Lord and they are safe. This is a biblical theme that God wants us to fully understand and that's why we start teaching things in, in Sunday school about the name of the Lord, who God is. We tell our kids God loves you, God has a plan for your life. And, and we try to invest and, and plant seeds in, in the lives of our children about who God is, right? Let's look at Exodus 34. As I said earlier, if we're going to know somebody, they've got to reveal themselves to us. We're about to see that God reveals his name to Moses on Mount Sinai. And God has to be the one to reveal his name. He doesn't send an angel to reveal his name. It has to be God to reveal him, his own name because only God knows himself. In our imaginings, we can't create a God that's accurate. There's only two real faiths on the planet that worship the God of the Bible, that know the God who revealed his name through Scripture, Judaism and Christianity. Every other religion says this is who God is, and they make his name, and they make his character. The problem is they're flawed. They're human beings. And we tend to associate our, our fallen stuff 
with a God who's above all things, and that never works out. So we are dependent on God to reveal his name. That's why God gave it to us in the Bible. That's why Jesus is known as the Word made flesh. And so we learn who God is through this Word, and we can't learn through who God is any other way because he's only offered that knowledge through his Word. And so let's, let's remember this Word is hallowed. It reveals to us who the Creator is. This Word is powerful. And here's a cool thing, is God promises to preserve his Word. He promises that his Word will not go and disappear. Do you remember that in history class when you learned about the Dark Ages? The Dark Ages were a terrible, terrible time. And what happened during the Dark Ages? Well, God's word was hidden from the world. It was taken. And it was only held by the elite. And they would dictate what God's word has to say. And that time is known as the Dark Ages. Well, we're not in the Dark Ages now. It may seem like we are or slipping into it, but we're not. We're not. God's name is still being glorified. But check it out. So Moses had gotten the first two tablets from God. Ten commandments are on there. He's leading millions of Israelites. God's done powerful things to set them apart. And he walks down the mountain with the tablets. And, and you know what? Moses is smiling at this point. In my imaginings, he's smiling because he has what he needs to lead these people. And he can give them what they need for a good life. And that's the Ten Commandments. So he gets down. He sees the, that they're in this gross sin. And now these commandments, which were for blessing, have become a curse. Why? Because of our sin, right? That's what Paul would tell us in the New Testament. And so Moses throws the tablets down. He breaks them. And, and I, what I have to imagine is a, a very angry moment. Well, here we are. Let's go to Exodus 34, and this is the rest of the story. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 1, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. It's pretty funny. Like, oh, you saw that. Okay. What's cool about this, I notice, and I think it applies to us today, is you guys, sometimes we've lost even um, the desire to live righteously. You can be a Christian and lose really the desire to walk a righteous life. You could say you've, you've set the tablets aside. I want you to hear this. You know what? God can renew a desire for righteousness in, in your life. You just got to bring him those tablets back. Say, God, will you write that on my heart again? He's happy to do it. He'll be quick to do it. So keep that in mind. If, if you've forgotten, man, righteousness is awesome. If the world and, and all the entanglements of the world and the pleasures of the world have, have distracted you from how awesome righteous living is, he'll write it again on your heart. It says, So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all of the mountain. Let neither flock nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hands the two tablets of stone. Whew, what a walk he's got. <laughs> Man, Moses had a lot going on, didn't he? So he obeys. All right, I'm going to meet him. What's curious about this is he's like, Moses, this is between you and I. You're coming up alone. I don't even want herds looking at this. <laughs> you know, there's a personal, intimate connection just between you and God. 
It has to do with your sin, and it has to do with his salvation and his grace. It has everything to do with his name, and it's personal. I want you to know, you can go to God. You don't need to go through a priest. You don't need to go through a pastor. It's between you and him, and it's personal to him, and you can go to him. Verse 5, here's something cool. Now the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there, him being Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Wow, what a moment this is. The Lord appears. I just said it. It can't be an angel to appear and describe who God is. God has to describe who God is. And he's, he comes down at the giving of the Ten Commandments, the second round of the giving of the Ten Commandments, and he declares how good he is. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. You guys, is that your God? Merciful and gracious. Oh man, that's a strong tower. I can run to a God who's merciful and gracious. For my wife and I, we have this desire to present a safe home. And so when our kids tell us things, we try to be very careful not to look shocked. <laughs> and we just try to be understanding and listen, right? We want to be safe. And that's what God is presenting himself. I'm a safe God. You can come to me. I'm merciful. I'm gracious. Long-suffering. And I abound in goodness and truth. Wow! That is awesome. Man, lately the, the TV has been the exact opposite. The TV is not a strong tower. Government's not a strong tower. Policy's not a strong tower. There's no mercy out there, guys, is there? Man, very little grace out there in the world. But we have a strong tower. That's our strong tower. And we can go to him. Who are we? We're the righteous. We've been cleansed by Christ. Declared righteous through faith, just like Abraham. Okay, verse 6, uh, verse 7. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. He doesn't clear the guilty. It wouldn't be honoring for a judge to just say, well, I'm going to forget about the theft. Just go on with your life, right? You can't do that. Justice is, is a thing of God. God is a just God, right? But he cleanses the guilty. It's way better, you guys, to be cleansed than to be cleared. It's way better to be cleansed than to be cleared. And God, he keeps mercy for us. Do you see those words? Keeping mercy. He's reserved it. It can't be touched. The devil can't sneak in and steal your mercy. He keeps it. God keeps it. He has mercy kept for me every day. He has mercy kept for you. And he's keeping it. for It's, a, it's an active God keeping you and I the stash of mercy that no one can touch. That's our God. That's our strong tower. Amen? Keeping mercy. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What is he talking about there? We, we take from this a theology of generational sin. Maybe you've heard that term. And I don't want to discuss that right now, but I will agree, 
every generation has sin. So there's been 250 generations between Noah and you and I. That's it. That's actually not that many, is it? And God has visited every one of those generations, and every one of those generations has had iniquity and sin. And he's still visiting us in our iniquity. He still visits us in our iniquity. He's going to visit my kids in their iniquity. He's going to visit my grandkids in their iniquity. He's going to be the same God to my great-great-grandkids as he was right here talking to Moses. That's a strong tower. You know a strong tower? It doesn't fall over. It doesn't wither away. It has a good foundation. Amen. It's not the leaning tower of Pisa, right? It's never, that's not where you go if you're looking for a strong tower. It's the name of God is the strong tower. The name of God is his character, who he is. That's our strong tower. You guys, we can run to it. I don't think we're running in fear. I think we're running in excitement. When something does come to us, bad news comes our way, you're running, what is running to the strong tower looks like? It looks like, okay, I'm going to start praying right now. Let's go. Let's go. Let's remember who God is. Let's remember his goodness. And let's walk in faith. Amen? So, he's patient with us. He forgives us. He cleanses us of our sin. He has mercy kept for us. He's abounding in goodness and truth. And he wants the world to know it. Check it out. Moses prays, hey, you know what? Even though we're stiff-necked, we're sinful people, will you come with us? Will you make us your people? In verse 9. And then in verse 10, God replies to Moses, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Isn't it cool when God describes something he's going to do? He calls it awesome. That's awesome. I'm going to do an awesome thing, says God. When he describes his actions, he describes them as awesome. Man, he's excited about himself. Did you know that? God is excited about himself. He's an awesome God. I encourage you to study the, the names of God. Go to Blue Letter Bible. Enter names of God. There's an amazing study to go through. Oh, man, it's awesome. He's an awesome God. But it's interesting. He points out something. God says something. That all the people among whom you are will see the work of the Lord. There's something in there that we've got to grab hold of. This is something that changed the way I do all that I do as a pastor. It really formed me as a pastor. Whether I'm doing crisis counseling, whether uh, I'm celebrating... um, Wedding? I couldn't think of the word. (laughs) A wedding? A marriage? Whether I'm doing a memorial service? This changed something because I realized when I was reading this that it's not about me. And it's not about you. And here, it's not about Israel. It's about everyone who's watching. God wants to do something awesome for his name's sake through your life because people are watching you. So I have a question for you. Do people know that you're a child of God? I want to hear an audible response. Do people know that you're a child of God? Yes, Yes, they do. Well, I'll tell you what. 
they're watching you. And that is exactly what God wants. You got to be vocal and let people know that you're a child of God. When my son went into junior high, I was like, Aaron, you got to make sure they know you're a child of God. The best thing they could do, the highest compliment they could offer you is to not invite you to the party. And he did it. That's another story. But it's a good one because God is awesome. He wants people watching your life. He wants them seeing you. He wants your co-workers, when you stub your toe, to go, oh, they didn't swear. I thought for sure they were going to swear. I've worked with people who do that. I don't hear, <laughs> thankfully. But I've had jobs where they're watching me, and I know they're watching. And that, that's when things get exciting. Okay, things are about to get real exciting. Here's the hook, you guys. Verse 14 of Exodus 34. This is what changed everything. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. This is why we're still here. This is why we don't get saved and all of a sudden we're raptured and we're out. Because God has something great in store for our lives. He has something important that we've got to see when we enter a challenge, when we enter suffering, when we get the, that bad diagnosis, when we lose someone we love, when, when human trafficking is on the front page, when teenage suicide is, is at our door, we've got to see this. God is jealous for his name. God is jealous for his name. He's jealous, not in the sense that you and I could be jealous for one another's talents. I wish I had their marriage. I wish I had their computer skills. I wish I had that 5.7 liter Land Cruiser um, put it on the list. Okay, he's, he's not jealous in that sense. He's jealous for you to know him. He's jealous for his glory to be known. He's jealous. The, the thing that makes him jealous is that he's awesome, that he's amazing. He's jealous for you to make good choices and walk a righteous path because he can pour blessing on your life. And he can show his strength and his might through your life. He's jealous for that. He's jealous for you to know him. That jealousy stirred him to send his son. <laughs> Aren't we glad for God's jealousy? Well, like a parent would be, no, come to me. If, you, if you're having problems, don't go talk to your friends. They don't have wisdom. They haven't walked this world. Come to me. I have the best for you. My plan for you is good. Every thought I have towards you is good. And for your blessing, that's us as parents. That's our jealousy for our child. That's God's jealousy for us. And that's God's jealousy for the world. Okay, bear that in mind. I, I, I've been at Rocky Mountain Calvary 14 years and been on staff for six of those uh, 14 years. And I know so many of you, and so many of you are good friends, and I I'm so thankful. I'm going to share with you a story that I haven't shared with many people. And uh, don't take it personal that I've never shared it with you, please. Don't take offense to that. But um, I'll share it now. In 2003, I was married to um, a woman other than my wife, Beth, who many of you know. Her name was Christy. She started to get sick in, in the late 1900s. And she um, encountered problem after problem after problem. And we walked a very dark, very cold path for a few years. And in 2003, she took her life. She died by suicide. We were living um, 
in Minnesota at the time. And she did it in a way that wasn't great, you guys. I'll just leave it at that. And it left me wrecked. It left me absolutely wrecked. Seven years later, God came to me and he's like, Dan, you got to forgive her. And I was like, Dad, you know, I get it. I forget. She was sick. I get it. And he brought all these memories to my mind, proving to me that I have not forgiven her. It took me seven years to forgive that abandonment. Today is, you know, obviously many years later, and it still wrecks me. I still have days, man. Man, do I have days. It still wrecks me. But I'm standing in front of you now, and I'm telling you the truth when I say this. I think I'm the most blessed person on the planet. I truly believe it. My Instagram name is Most Blessed Bro. I don't even know how that was. It's like, wow, did you save that for me, Lord? My kids are tired of me saying it, but I always call myself the Lord's favorite. And I know it's not biblical. It's not. I get that. But I feel so blessed. Oh, how can that be? How can you go through a tragedy? And then years later, have the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, and the love of God just blessing you. Huh? I'm going to tell you what, that's not offered outside of this building. The world doesn't have that. They don't have that to offer. That's in the strong tower. That's in the name of God. Recently, we had a, a death by suicide. 19-year-old girl. When she was just three, she insisted on being called princess. <laughs> beautiful. She looked like my first wife. Blonde hair, beautiful, talented. And she died by the same M.O. as my wife. And this one really hit me. This one really got to me. Pastor Eric would be texting me, hey, how you doing? <laughs> the pastors are praying for me. My wife is supporting me. But boy, did this one get me. Man, I didn't, I don't know. But I do have a strong tower. So I went to my strong tower. And I'm here today because I have a strong tower. I'm not walking away. I'm not giving up. You have a strong tower. Suicide has touched us all. You have a strong tower, a righteous God who's greater than the voice of the enemy. Go to 1 Samuel 17. You know the story of David and Goliath. You started it in Sunday school, but I think you might learn something new. Some of you will be like, oh yeah, I've been leaning on this for years, bro. And some of you will be like, wow, I haven't thought of it that way. I'm going to start in verse 40. So Goliath is really loud, you guys. He's been, for 40 days, he's been taunting the armies of the living God. And they're scared. They don't want to face him. They don't want to, they don't want to take him on. And David shows up. And he hears this Goliath. And David sees a couple things that I think you guys need to see. First, he sees that Goliath is a Philistine and an uncircumcised Philistine. And what does that mean? It's not an insult. What David is pointing out is Goliath doesn't have covenant. He doesn't have the, the covering of covenant. 
You guys, we have the covering of covenant in our lives through Jesus Christ. A new covenant. It's so awesome. And we have that covering. That's our strong tower. And, and David's like, okay, well, hold on. He's defying the armies of the living God, and he doesn't have the covenant. David looked at Goliath and said, I can't lose. I can't lose. It's not possible for me to lose. Why? Because God is jealous for his name. You know, we're all encountering Goliath, and I want you to, I want you to consider your Goliath through the eyes of a jealous God. I want you to consider the battle, the war. I, I had my Goliath. My Goliath still speaks up every once in a while, but I got my strong tower. I've got the name of the Lord, and I get to stand here today to tell you our God, the name of the Lord is the strong tower. Some Goliaths seem to follow us, but one day all Goliaths do fall. You can be sure of that because God wants to glorify his name. So in verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag in a pouch, which he had. And his sling was in his hand and he drew near the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. Okay, what, why would you disdain the way he looks? I think, I think David, when this was recorded, said, hey, throw good-looking in there. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> okay, so all eyes are now on two people, right? David and Goliath. The armies are all looking right there. It's about to go down. David and Goliath, this epic battle you've been hearing about since your first Sunday school visit. Amen? All eyes are on him. Let's point this out. You guys, God wants eyes on you. He wants people watching you. He wants people looking at you so that he can give you a victory that causes them to say, they have the one true God. Otherwise, just take us home, Lord. But we're here for his name. And he's jealous for his name. Position yourself in a place where God, who's jealous for his name, can declare his name and do something awesome in your life so that the world would say and know you've got the one true God. You know what? The darker the world gets, the easier it gets for God to show his glorious name. It's only getting easier and easier. The world's getting darker and darker. So, the Philistine threatens David, and he says, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David can't lose. He gets it. David doesn't say, but I come to you with a sling, and I've been a shepherd for a long time, and I don't miss. He says, you come to me with a sword. Yeah, that's cool. Spear, javelin. Yeah, you're armed. But I've got the name of God. That's what we need to say to our Goliaths. I've got the name of God. I come to you in the name of God. Then David gets loud. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. 
And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. David got it. It wasn't about David, and it wasn't about Goliath. It was about all the earth knowing there's a God in Israel. That's what David understood. That's our strong tower. Man, David is like, I can't believe none of you guys see this. You've been sitting here scared for 40 days. Let me at it. It's because God is a jealous God. He's jealous for his name because he's that awesome. Then he does something else. Here's something cool. Verse 47, he says, Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. That's the assembly. That's Israel. Psalm 42, David longed to go and worship with the assembly. Guys, that's us. We're the assembly. God wants us to know something in our victories over Goliath. That the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. It's his battle. And sometimes we want to be strong and we want to go out and we want to fight and we got our sword, we got our spear, and that's not going to save us. The battle's the Lord's. And the world is doing some really cool things. They're doing good things. They're trying to accomplish good things. But if they leave the Lord out of the battle, they're going to accomplish nothing. I would love to turn on the TV and hear the newscast say, hey, guess what? I have an idea. In order to end racism, here's what we should do. We should acknowledge that racism is bad because God is not racist. And start there. <laughs> That's what we should do. We should acknowledge that truly the one who's been sinned against when we're racist is God. Do you know that when... Um, King David wrote Psalm 51, this psalm of repentance. He was repenting from an affair with Bathsheba and getting Uriah murdered. That's what he was repenting of. And yet he says something interesting. He says, against you and you alone have I sinned and done evil in your sight. You guys, the battle's the Lord's. Re fighting against racism, that's a righteous battle and a noble one, but it's not going to be with swords. It's not going to be with spears. The battle's the Lord's, amen? Well, don't you wish they would come to the church and look for the answer? I sure hope they will. <laughs> to battle human trafficking. Policies are awesome. Laws are awesome. But they don't change a heart, do they? That battle's the Lord's. And so, guys, the assembly, we need to know the answer to all of these things isn't through debate and it isn't through policy. It's through changing hearts because the battle is the Lord's. It's through recognizing, you know, a sin is wrong because God doesn't sin. And starting there. And if we can do that, we can change the world. You know, America is still great. It's still an awesome country. And there will always be battles everywhere. We're still falling. But all that we see happening right now, all, all of the chaos, the fighting, the arguing, the hatred, the, the buildings burning, all of those things that we see happening right now 
are, don't let that suggest to you in any way, shape, or form that God is not still in control. The 40 days of Goliath yelling and yelling and yelling, all that was was to set the stage for God to do something awesome. And God's not done doing awesome things, is he? The battle's the Lord's. He's going to do something awesome. He wants to do something awesome through your life. He wants to do something awesome through your Goliath that you have to face, and we all have them. He wants to do something awesome from my wife's suicide. He wants to do something awesome in the family of Princess. All of them are coming to church all the time, 17 of them. They are not going to go the other way. Isn't that awesome? The battle's the Lord's, guys. The battle's the Lord. He's not out of the battle. He's setting the stage for the battle. And he's setting a stage for his son to return and bring glory to his name like never before known. Goliath may be loud, but he's going down. The battle's the Lord's. You guys, I think we all have Goliaths. Have you considered whatever that is, if it's addiction, if it's a terribly difficult marriage, if it's a child off in rebellion, if it's a disability, if it's a uh, cancer diagnosis, we all have Goliaths. Some Goliaths linger, some fall, but we all have them. You guys, the battle is the Lord's. It's his. Man, I'm looking at your faces and I can say, I can go, whoa, I I know the stories, (laughs) so many of you. And I can say, I could point out to you your Goliath. And I've prayed with so many of you over your Goliath. And it's such an honor, such a blessing. But the battle's the Lord's. We're the ones who go to the strong tower. We're the ones who find safety. God's the warrior. Amen? So I want to ask you guys, if you've got a Goliath, have you considered approaching God with this? God, will you rescue my marriage? Not for me, not for my loser spouse. Don't don't say that. (laughs) Not for my sake, but would you do it for your name? Will you do it to glorify who you are? Because all these people, the whole neighborhood knows it's bad in this house. But if you turn it around, the whole neighborhood will know that we know the one true God. Isn't that what we want? Has God set the stage in your life? Do you know that when Israel came to the Red Sea, they walked up to it and they're like, okay, well, there's a lot of water and there's Pharaoh and his army coming up. What are we going to do? It couldn't have looked worse. Nehemiah says the day that God parted that Red Sea, that day he made a name for himself. What if all that you're going through, all that's been led to where you're at right now is just so God can make a name for himself in your life? I'd do it. I'd do it 10 more times. When a funeral does come up, I haven't done a lot. I'm 
not that experienced. I haven't done a lot of memorial services. But I'll tell you what, half of the ones I've done are suicides. Death by suicide. And you know what? Actually, later this month, we already have scheduled the next uh, memorial service, another death by suicide. It's already on the calendar. And so when these opportunities come up, I raise my hand. I'm going to take that one. I'm going to take it. Because I know that God can glorify his name through this. And I know, actually, the world can't. Princess family, if they go to the world, I know they're not going to get one drop of help. But if I meet with them and I tell them what I've been through and then I can talk to them about God's name and I can talk to him about how he's jealous for his name, how he wants to glorify his name through this worst tragedy you could ever imagine, I can tell them from a heart that knows it's true because I've personally experienced it. I can tell them, you know what, you guys? God doesn't want you fighting. He wants you resting. He's got a strong tower. Let me introduce you to that tower. I got the keys. I frequent it. And he has rest for you. He has peace for you. Let him fight the battle. Let him go get Goliath. Amen? So I want to give you guys an opportunity as we close. Would you do something? If you had a Goliath, I would love to pray for you. And so I'm going to ask you guys... As I've been talking, if a Goliath has come to your mind, would you do me a favor? Will you stand up? Will you stand up? Declare to the world that you're in the war. Goliath has been really loud. And we're going to pray that God would glorify his name, the name he's jealous for, in battling your Goliath. Amen? I want to say thank you to every one of you who had the courage to stand up. Just love that about you guys. And Rocky Mountain Calvary is so glad. For those of you I, I, uh, I know personally and I already know your battle and your struggle, man, would I love to come and talk to you. So come and talk to me, please. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you. And Lord, we want to remember that you are an absolutely amazing God who does awesome, awesome things. Lord, that you're so great and so mighty. We just come before you. We can't even fathom it. Lord, thank you for revealing to us who you are because had you not, we would not know. God, would you show yourself great and mighty in the lives of everyone who's standing right now? Would you silence their Goliath? Lord, we entrust the battle to you. We come and we, we come and ask Lord, would you lead us to that strong tower where everyone who's standing right now can find rest and find peace. And Lord, we surrender to you the war that they're in, the battle that they're in, the trial that they're facing, and ask God, would you glorify your name through it? Would you use it so that people in their lives would look at them and say, they know the one true God. There is a God in their lives, and that God is you. And that somehow through that, you would win hearts to who you are, a jealous God, mighty and powerful. So we surrender these trials to you. We ask, Lord, for your peace. We ask for your grace. Lord, we ask for healing. We ask for redemption. Do a work. Do a miracle in our lives. Heal our marriages. Heal our homes. Heal our bodies. 
God, restore our kids, restore our spouse, restore our family. Lord, that your name would be glorified. Not for us, not for Rocky Mountain Calvary, but for your name's sake, God, will you do that? We come to you because you're great and mighty and awesome. We come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. Would you do it for his name's sake? The one you so delight in. God, we love you. We commit all of these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.